Thank you for joining us at the Center for Spiritual Living. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And for further information, please visit us at spiritualliving.org. Wow. Okay. Now, if there were people in this room, they'd be applauding like crazy. I can't wait for applause again, just, just because. Wouldn't that be? That was absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much, Stefan. Oh, man. Great song by Daniel Namod. And uh, Stefan will be singing one of her own songs after the service. I mean, after my talk. And it, we, we are blessed in this New Thought movement with some powerful music. And I'm really grateful for all of it. Thank you so much. Um, I am, <laughs> I am giving you lesson three in a five-part series using the Gospel of John as a living parable. In many of the Gospels, he, the man Jesus uh, taught through parables. And I believe, and some other people believe, it's not just me, I'm saying it because I believe, agree, that John is a parable. That's why it's so different than the other synoptic Gospels. And, and it, it goes along with some of the Mediterranean mystery school traditions where people would walk and talk like the God to take on the nature and the attributes and the powers of the God. And I also think that Jesus, I agree with our founder, Ernest Holmes, that Jesus is an example, not an exception. That he's an example of what we can be when we allow ourselves to remember our connection with the divine. When we allow ourselves to remember that um, we are made out of the only stuff there is, and that stuff is the substance and the, and the presence and the power and the intelligence and the love of God. I say remember because uh, I think we all have glimpses of that. I think we do remember it at times, and sometimes it scares our human personality. So this is the, the story of how to be in the world but not of it. So we're not so otherworldly, we're of no use to anyone. But we are, we are using our memory of our own divinity to, to bring heaven to earth. For us to have a heavenly experience so that others can have a heavenly experience. In fact, I was, I was praying for peace today. And uh, as I was uh, coming into work, because there's just so much discord, I made the mistake of trying to get the the traffic report and I listened to a little bit of news and I was just like, okay, that's all I can handle and I went into prayer and I, I realized that I cannot claim peace for the world unless I know peace within myself. In fact, there's a line in the, in the New Testament where Jesus says, there will be many saviors come out of Jerusalem and Jerusalem is a city of peace. When we create some peace 
in ourselves, we will be able to have us be the saving grace for others. But first, we've got to find it for ourselves. Well, that's not always easy, is it? That's why I'm telling these stories. That's why I love this book. Because when I wonder how to be as a person, and especially as a minister, and especially as a person who says I believe more in God than I do other things, that I believe that God is the ultimate power, how do I then show up in the world? Well, these stories tell that. So let's just take let's just take a, a concern that I know someone has. I was um, I got an email recently from someone, and I'm going to answer her directly. But I, I got it right when as I was going um, on my two days off, and and she and it, it was a cry for how do we be caretakers? How is it that we are caretakers and still care for ourselves? Well, this, there, some of you may have heard about the story of Jesus going from Jerusalem back to his, his hometown in uh, Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. And, and in Samaria, he was exhausted. He just said, I can't go any farther, and he sat down by a well, and he sent his disciples into town to get provisions, and he's just exhausted. Well, if Jesus could get exhausted, guess what? Even the best people can get exhausted. But too many people think, I can't get exhausted. I, I'm not supposed to get tired. I'm not supposed to need to be nurtured. Yes, you're supposed to be nurtured. <laughs> to, do not be afraid to call out for help. Do not be afraid to call out for help from your family, your friends, perhaps agencies, and especially from spirit, especially from God. And then we look up and we remember that our salvation from this instance, from this tiredness, from this, from this feeling overwhelmed, can come immediately. Since, well, as long as I can remember, I've been anemic. Um, took a long time to figure that out, but, but I sometimes just don't have stamina because I don't have a lot of red blood cells normally. They're plump, they're fat, they're not thin little things. They're really fat, healthy blood cells. I just don't have a lot of them. But uh, there is, my naturopath put me on this product that really plumps up my blood cells, but actually helps my bone marrow generate more blood cells. And then I'm fine. Well, they can't get that particular herb in, that particular medicine in right now. I'm not sure why, but it seems to be in backlog. And I'm just getting more and more tired, and, and my energy level is just, blah. and I finally just... I just gave myself a couple of hours to just like do nothing because I couldn't do much. Now there's a part of me that wants to force myself. You go out and clean the barn anyway. Go out and do this anyway. Do this anyway. Do this anyway. And I remembered this story because I'm teaching it to a group of ministers. And it's like, no, when you got to rest, you got to rest. And then I called for help. Just as he sent his disciples forward to get the provisions for him, I called up to God and then I, I emailed my prayer practitioners. My prayer request for today is I want energy even if I can't get that herb, if I can't get that medicine, I want it. 
And guess what? My energy level came back. Just asking, just acknowledging that I don't have to do it all by myself, that there is support from prayer partners, from, from medicine sometimes, and from God always. What are you continuing to do even though you're exhausted? Ask yourself. And then ask yourself, do I need to, really? If, the, if this great example could say, I'm tired, I'm sitting down and I'm resting, then we can sit down and we can rest and expect to be supported. The next thing that I want to talk about is um, another story that's told in the Gospel of John because I think this too is very important. And this has to do with, our, with accusation. Jesus went back to Jerusalem and he healed a man, um, healed a man that had been um, lame for, I don't know, many years. And uh, he was by a pool and supposedly when, when the pool rippled, it was because an angel was touching the pool and if the first one in got healed. Like, that's, like that sounds like, like one of those uh, reality show, game show things that we see on TV, and I don't think God does that. You know, first one in gets healed, the rest of you have to wait. That's not the way God works. But if somebody does believe that the angel is touching the water, then that belief could have healed them, perhaps. So this man's been there a long time, and Jesus comes along and sees he's got great faith. He just was too lame to get to the water in time, and he heals him. No, that's not the message of the story. The message of the story is what happened later. When, when people saw that the man had been healed, but it happened on Sunday, or not Sunday, the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday, when it happened on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and I guess they thought it took work to heal someone, they accused him, the authorities accused him, of, of being out of alignment with principle, with what was right and good. They were the proper police. You should do it this way, or you should do it this way. Or, and th believe me, there were a lot of you shouldses and you shouldnts. A lot of shooting going on. And what Jesus said is, you know, I do what my Father in heaven or that origin within tells me to do. And what does the origin within do? What does God do? What God does is love. And love heals. Love doesn't say, oh, I see you're in a real pickle, but I can't, I can't talk to you today because that would be too much work. The, the message that Emma Curtis Hopkins tries to get across to people as they are reading John is that Jesus did not second-guess himself. And Jesus did not start to accuse himself. There will always be people who want you to do things a certain way, especially their way. And there will always be temptations to second-guess yourself and say, I could have done it differently and I should have done it differently. Maybe I should have thought of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, as I, I think I said, I mentioned, 
that I'm giving an eight-week class to ministers using this material. And there's not one of us that doesn't second-guess ourselves more often than we would like to. We, we second-guessed, did we teach right? Did we use the right words? Did we do this? Did we? It's like, ooh. But, but here's the deal. Here's the message in this. In the anointed ex- interpretation of this life parable, Emma says, oftentimes our methodology will be wrong, but if our motive is right, and Jesus' motive was to love and to serve and to be a healing force on the earth. If the motive is right, the principle of goodness moves through the motive, not the method. Eventually, what shows up in the world is our motive not necessarily our method. This is important. Because we are in such a fast-changing world, it's really hard to keep up with what's woke at any given time. But if your motive is to express goodness to the highest degree that you can at any given time, the Spirit of God works through that motive to bring about a result that is a blessing to yourself and a benefit to others. I, 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 um, I can teach this because I'm always having to ask myself, what was my motive? God bless my motive. What was my motive? Bless my motive. After this instance happened, he goes off into um, the, the, the hillside, into the country, and he and his disciples move up on the hills, which I, metaphorically could mean you know, symbolically could mean that he and those people around him went into a high, high state of consciousness. And from that high state of consciousness, they saw a large group of people coming and wanting to hear what Jesus had to say. And yet it was getting late, and one of the disciples said, you know, they're probably getting hungry. Why don't we send them home? Now, this particular story is the only story that happens in all four Gospels. And it's been said by many uh, Bible scholars that, especially New Thought, or not New Thought, but New, well, New Thought and New Testament scholars, that the reason that this shows up four times is that there is a, a code in this, in this working of a miracle of feeding the 5,000. So first, there's a high level of consciousness. You can see things, you observe things, you will know things differently when you're prayed up than when you are 
as I almost did this morning listening to the news, or brought down by earthly circumstances. The earthly circumstances won't change. You're not denying them. You're not ignoring them. It's just that you can't handle them from a high state of consciousness unless you put yourself in that high state of consciousness. So first, pray. Know. Connect. Be. And then you can see anything and you'll know what is yours to do. Otherwise, we can become totally um, hampered in our thinking because this is wrong and 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 we feel powerless to do anything about it except gripe at the people that are doing it, which doesn't solve anything. So from a high state of consciousness, they could see what was happening. People were there. They're probably getting hungry. And, and the Christ says, fine, they're hungry, let's feed them. Now some lower thoughts, those that weren't quite as high, said, well, why don't we just send them home? And Jesus said, no, what do we have? What do we have? And then they took stock. They took stock of what they had. They had some fishes and some loaves. See, one of the messages that Emma Curtis Hopkins is, is getting through all of these stories that she's telling about, retelling about Jesus, she's seeing what John said, and from her high state of consciousness, she's saying, you know what? Jesus always used what he had. He didn't say, well, let's wait. Let's wait. Let's wait. No, what do we have? Let's use it. So he took what they, what they had and he looked up and he gave thanks. Thank you for what I have. And he blessed what he had. And then they started to hand out and do something with what they had. And at the end of the story, there were 12 baskets left over of food. Now, Bible scholars have all sorts of ideas about that. I mean, I do too. I mean, it wasn't, I, I've been at that hill. I mean, I've seen the hills that, were, that we drove through. They're not that high. There could have been vendors down below that said, hey, look at those people. I bet they're hungry. I mean, who knows what's happening? Could be that people had little stashes of, of dried fish and, and bread in their pockets. And when they saw other people being generous, they were generous. Oh, it. I, or it could have just been out of the thin air. I don't know. But the formula is there. First, entertain your connection with the one, the one power, the one power, the one power. Then look to see what's happening and what you have that might affect what's happening and bless what you have and then begin to do something with it. One of the th things that I taught uh, a year ago, or more than a year ago, it's when we first moved into this building, the first thing that I did downstairs in our fellowship hall was I did a, a drop-in group for Money Mastery. And I asked people if they wanted something to start saving for it. Well, I don't have the money to save. You've got something. Start where you are. Put $5 away, $1 away, whatever. And one gentleman has told me that he now has thousands of dollars in the bank because he started. 
so that when something happens, he doesn't have to borrow. He doesn't have to put it on his credit card. He's got money. And it happened less than two years ago because he just began with what he had to create a life of security that he wanted. You know, I could, I, I could move on, but I think I'm going to save this for the second service because uh, this is really rich, and I'd love for you to have an experience. I want you to have an experience. So Joel's going to join me, and I'd like you to move up in consciousness. Let's have an experience of, of going up the mountain. So become comfortable. This might be harder if you're at a public place. <laughs> you can't, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe you can't cross your legs and get in a lotus position. But maybe you can just lean back and take a deep breath in and then out. <sighs> One of the wonderful things about our breath is that it's such a great tool for centering. And since everybody breathes, unless you're really vocal, nobody knows that you're in a spiritual practice. Nobody knows that you're centering yourself. Now, if you're driving or you're walking, you may not be able to do this. But if you're walking, maybe go off to the side of the trail or whatever. And I'd like you to just look up. and sigh again. Notice how your breath changes when you look up. For me, it becomes fuller. I don't realize how tight and shallow my breath is until I just look up. In the Bible, it says, Look up to the hills from whence comest thou salvation. That which will save you from your circumstance comes because we are no longer looking at the condition. We're not looking down. We are allowing ourselves to rise in consciousness. Now take note of how you feel and what you think. What I've noticed is when I'm here, I don't think. This is the easiest way to turn off the monkey mind, is just simply lift my eyes 45 degrees. Now, let me ask you some questions and just allow yourself to know your answers your answers. Let them come from deep inside of you. What is a condition that you would like to change?
and what is now at your disposal. What do you have right now? Where are you right now? That you can use to start to change that condition. It may be a change of heart. It may be a change of thought. It may be, it may be a gift. It may be whatever it is. What can you, what do you have? Because right where you are, God is. Right where you are, the sufficiency of God is. The information of God is. The ideas of God is right where you are. What are you becoming aware of that you have that can start to shift that which has bothered you? Now bless that. Just bless it. If what you want to do is take a trip, but you only have $50, bless the $50. What is the idea? Maybe, I don't know, but it's amazing the ideas and the clarity that comes when we just look up. So many times it's said of the prophets and Moses and others and Jesus that they would go to the mountaintop. They were maybe hiking (laughs) or maybe they were just allowing their consciousness to rise where the information can be delivered. Now, after you've blessed what you have, allow yourself to know the instruction of what to do with it. And then do it. Make a commitment to do it. Ah. For this is timeless wisdom. This is the way of making a miracle. Thank you, sweet spirit, for bringing us here today. Thank you, sweet spirit, for reminding us that we can rest, that we need not be our own worst enemy by second-guessing everything that we do, and that we can work a miracle because what we have is enough to get anything started. Thank you, sweet spirit, for this. Thank you for the messages. Thank you for the this beautiful gospel of John. And thank you for Emma Curtis Hopkins who interpreted it in a way that I could live better and that I have the opportunity to share this with others. Thank you, thank you, thank you for it all. And so it is. <laughs>